we are in a series that we've entitled One Week to Live. And what we're doing is journeying through Jesus last week and day by day, we're looking at the events, the words, the impact of what happened when Jesus, knowing that his time was short, set about to say and do some intentional things. Today, we come to Thursday, and we're calling this Context is Everything Thursday. We're going to start with context. How exciting is that, right? It's like, uh, what else you got? I think it's really going to help us understand something that you may be familiar with, and I'm guessing many of us are, but maybe it will help us understand it in a much deeper and more impactful way. So let's talk about context. I can remember being in school back in the day and one of my professors saying a statement that stuck with me for um, decades now. He said, context is king. That you can go to the Bible and you take anything out of context and you can change the meaning by doing that. You've got to see the bigger picture and understand the depth that is behind it. So let me give you an example that's not in the Bible but how important to show us how important context is. So here's a paragraph. Uh, a beach is a better place in the street because you need lots of room. At first, it's better to run than walk. You may have to try several times, but it's easy to learn. Even kids can enjoy it. Birds rarely get too close. If there are no snags, it can be very peaceful. But if it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. And if you just read that, you go, huh? What in the world are you talking about? Let me give you one word that I think automatically brings some context and some meaning to everything that's on there, the word kite. And all of a sudden now it makes sense, right? And all of that, even by experience, you can say, oh yeah, now I understand how all of that fits. But without the context, it seems kind of random. Well, today we're going to look at an event on the Thursday of Jesus' final week. And there are phrases that um, different churches use for this event that's centered on this Last Supper, the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper, Communion, the Eucharist. All of those phrases are really pointing to the same thing that we're going to look at today. comes out of one paragraph. Each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record this event and here is Mark's version of it. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now, if you grew up around church like I did, you have heard this many times. And there's a sense in which we have made this our own, and it has become a tradition that we continue to observe, mainly because Jesus told us to do that until he comes back. But there are some roots, some deep roots, and some ancient connections that I fear have been disconnected from it, so that it stands a little bit more randomly in our day. But what we're going to take a look at today is some of the context of what led Jesus to say these words and the impact that they still have. So let's back up a little bit from before these words in the book of Mark. And it says, and on the first day of unleavened bread, we're on Thursday, when they sacrifice the, and I'm going to highlight the context word for you as we go through here, 
they sacrificed the Passover lamb. His disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And his disciples set out, went to the city, and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Mark says it four times in just a couple of verses to make sure. This is about the Passover. That is the context of what is unfolding. It's the night that Jesus gathers together with his disciples and celebrates a Passover meal. Mark mentions it four times here. In total, in the Gospels, it's mentioned 14 times, but we have to understand the Passover meal. And we may ask the really good question, well, what is that? And in many ways, the Jewish roots of this, the 2,000-year-old story that was so well known to the people who were in that room in our context has often been disconnected and left aside. So what is Passover? Let's way back up a bit. 2,000 years before Jesus comes, the Hebrew people are enslaved in the nation of Egypt. And worse than slavery, we might ask, well, what's worse than slavery? That's really bad. It was a day when Pharaoh saw how the Hebrew people were multiplying quicker than the Egyptians were. And so he put out an execution order. And he said to these midwives, that were helping deliver these babies. Whenever there is a male Hebrew baby, drown them in the Nile River. That's worse than slavery. And God worked in miraculous ways to preserve a guy named Moses. And maybe you're a little familiar with his story. Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. Eventually, he tries to free the people all on his own. That was a horrific mistake. He goes and runs away, spends 40 years in the middle of nowhere tending some sheep. And then one day, God comes and says, I have heard the cries of my people. And the time has come to set them free. And I'm going to send you down to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And so, of course, God's involved and it makes it easy, right? Pharaoh says, nope, not going to do it. Why would I let free labor walk out of Egypt? And so a series of plagues begins after that. All kinds of different plagues, many of them really centered at the gods of the Egyptians. And so it's like a showdown of the gods here. And each time Moses goes in and asks Pharaoh, will you let my people go? And Pharaoh says, no. And it tells us that he hardened his heart. And so finally, God responds with the greatest plague of all, the last one. And it's the death of the firstborn. Interesting how Pharaoh wanted to kill the firstborn. And now in this showdown, God is going to come and he's going to bring judgment on that. But something is available to everybody who is there. God said, there's a way to avoid this. And if you go out into your flock and you take an innocent lamb and you slaughter that lamb, take the blood of that innocent lamb and put it on the doorframe of your home, on the sides and also on the top. And when the angel of death comes, if he sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he will pass over. And that's where that word even comes from. And then from that time on, in the Hebrew nation, there was the remembrance of the Passover, and there was a meal that was structured around it. 
And every year, the people would be reminded of how God showed up in power, how they were freed from slavery, how they were preserved even from judgment, and how God set them free ultimately because after this event, Pharaoh says, you are free to go. And the structure of the meal was around four cups of four verbs that are found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And that is where God is talking about the upcoming Passover and all the events that are going to play out. Let me show you those verses. But first, let me show you this. See, I think there are very deep Jewish roots to what we're talking about here. But in our world, we've kind of made Jesus like one of the California hippies in the Jesus Revolution movie. And kind of turned him into our version of ourself. But we got to remember what he's tapping into here is something very Hebrew, something very Jewish. And we've also even turned the Last Supper into a bunch of Italians having a brunch together around a table where they're wearing brightly colored things. Chances are there was no table in that room. Picture something very small and very cozy and something that is a lot unlike what we would bring our own understanding to. Instead, it is centered on the four cups of the four verbs in Exodus chapter 6. Here's what it says. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And those four events, those four actions on the part of God serve as the outline for the Passover meal. So let's walk through each of those um, just a little bit. During a Passover, there would be a cup filled with wine. Maybe it looked a lot like this. Maybe it looked a little different. But four times that cup would be raised to symbolize and to remember those four verbs. And cup number one is the cup of sanctification. That sounds like one of those real fancy church theological words. What does it really mean? It means to be set apart, set apart for God's use. And what does it mean? Even in our day, it means that God chooses me. So here are the people in slavery and they get reminded every year, you know what? God showed up, God chose us. And he says, now is the time and you're going to be set free. And there's still a message that God sends to people even today that you can be set free. And then right after the cup is raised, there are some bitter herbs that are eaten and they symbolize the harshness of slavery. One of those bitter herbs um, was a lot like romaine lettuce that I have here. And you say, this is historically accurate, okay? It was something a lot like this and they would just take it and if you know romaine lettuce without ranch dressing or something else on it, it's pretty bitter. Why would they do that? Because they want to be reminded in such a tactile, experiential way. Slavery is harsh. Slavery is hard. Slavery is a burden. Slavery is not where lives thrive. And so at the beginning of that, Passover meal. They would do that to remember. After they ate that, often they would take some parsley and they would dip it in salt water and then eat that parsley covered with salt water. Why would they do that? The salt water was there to symbolize the tears of the people under the burden of slavery. And so they would be reminded that even when God shows up and God is at work, sometimes there are still tears in this world. And it doesn't mean that everything is just 
removed from us or that we do not experience some of the trials that happen in this world. And then at that point, after they have eaten the herbs, the bitter herbs, there would be a responsibility given to the youngest person in the room. And chances are among Jesus' followers, the youngest follower of his was a guy by the name of John who wrote the gospel of John. And he would ask this question, why is this night different from all other nights? And of course, the answer to that question asked every year would be the story of the Passover. That's what makes this night different. And then after the first cup, then would come the second cup. That is the cup of emancipation. Based on that verb, I will free you. That God promised in his miraculous power that he would set the people free in a way that they could not accomplish for themselves. What does it mean still? Even today, it means that God liberates me. And at this point, the host of the meal would go and he would take some unleavened bread, bread that doesn't have any yeast in it. And they had to gather things quickly, the Hebrews, when they were going to be set free. And so yeast takes a while to rise, and so they needed to be ready in a hurry, and so there was no yeast. And it came to symbolize, the yeast did, sin and suffering. And so the bread came to symbolize the absence of that. And this is when a host would take that bread, break it, and this is the moment at which Judas, one of Jesus' followers, who had already committed to betray him, got up, walked out, and carried through with his plan. But Jesus is holding that bread, which he has extended to his friend who just left, extends it to all of the rest of them. And this would have been a very, very familiar experience for them. And on that table, there would often be in Jesus' time a lamb bone that would represent the sacrifice of that innocent lamb to provide the blood for the covering. But here's an interesting detail. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they describe the elements that are there in one way or another, but not one of them mentions anything about the lamb. There is no lamb on the table because the lamb of God is at the table. And so they eat the bitter herbs, they break the bread, and it symbolizes emancipation. It symbolizes a life that can be experienced without the sin and without the suffering. And at that moment when the bread is broken and the lamb is eaten, Again, they would have been very, very comfortable with this and very familiar with this. But you know what Jesus does on that day? He does something that nobody else in their right mind would do. He was considered a rabbi. He was considered a teacher. He was considered a religious leader. But nobody else in that category would do what he does in this moment. Because the bread without the yeast came to symbolize what could be accomplished by the sacrifice of the lamb. But look at what Jesus says in this moment. As they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them, and he said, take, this is my body. Not this symbolizes and this represents 
the lamb that was sacrificed for one more year of your sins being covered. Jesus is saying nothing short of that ancient ceremony for 2,000 years, what has been practiced year after year after year has been pointing to one ultimate thing all along. And here it is. Because Jesus knew the next day on a Roman cross, his body would be broken and his blood would be shed. And he says all of that, even what was pictured way back in Exodus chapter six, was looking toward this day. He goes on with the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption points to redeeming, and you know we don't use that word a whole lot. What does it mean to redeem something? It means to pay a price to set something or someone free. And it means that God redeems me. And that's what God does for me. So not only did he take the bread and said all of that for all those years was pointing at me, the same was true with the very cup that he was raising. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this does not symbolize the blood of the lamb that covers you for one more year. This is the cup of my blood of the covenant. All of that was pointing to me, which is poured out for many. And Jesus knows in just a couple of hours, his friend will betray him. He will be put on trial. He will be falsely found guilty. He will be tortured and his blood will begin to flow. He will be asked to carry the beam of his own cross and he will be crucified and die. And the reality of this moment is something that God had talked about even long before it happened. And as surprised as the disciples must have been in that moment to say, all of those things that we have practiced every year in our lives, that was all ultimately about you. Here's something a couple hundreds of years before Jesus came. Prophet Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. There's a time coming where there will be a new covenant where one sacrifice can be made so that all sins are forgotten and forgiven for all time. And Jesus, in that upper room with his disciples, in the context of the Passover meal, says, and here it is. And it's all fulfilled in him. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And then comes the fourth cup. It's called the cup of completion. It's based on the verb in Exodus chapter 6, I will take you as my own. And it talks about how there will be a finale, that there will be a conclusion, and even that there will be a celebration. But here's something that's also an interesting detail in what is recorded in that Passover meal. Jesus never raises the cup the fourth time. Instead, he does something, again, that would have seemed so incomplete that maybe in a marriage ceremony, if we left out the part, you know, 
do you take and do you take, I do. It's like leaving an important part of something very familiar undone. Check this out. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Cup of sanctification, God chooses me. The cup of redemption, God redeems me. The cup of emancipation, God frees me. Why would Jesus leave this undone? And right in his words, he speaks in a way that 2,000 years ago was a way of saying a vow, a very serious vow. I will not eat or drink again until I, and then fill in the blank. And here's what Jesus is saying in a promise that he makes that day. There's another day coming, a future day when I will raise the cup of completion. But it's going to be in my kingdom. And it's going to be a new day. This is Jesus' promise that if you belong to him and you've put your hope and trust in him, you know what he's saying? I will bring you home and you will be there on that day when that cup is raised and all will be right and all will be new and all will be the way that it's supposed to be. It's Jesus' promise that he's coming again. And he's going to take all those who belong to him to be with him. And he will raise the cup. And we will know that he is as good as his word. And there in that place will be many people who have gone before us. Even people from the Bible. Can you imagine a day meeting some of the people in the Bible? King David, what was it like to stare down a nine-foot giant? Adam, what the heck were you thinking in that garden? And as we have that experience, we will know that that has all been accomplished by the one who did it for us. And it's always been pointing to him. But I don't know about you, as we said before, right? I struggle to admit, I don't like to admit it, that I'm far from perfect, even in a relationship with Jesus. And there are moments, I'm guessing, that many of us struggle with this idea. Man, I know I'm not living up to my own standards, much less God, so where does that leave me? And is there a place, you know, where, you know, I can be unsafe or unclear or at risk? If you have truly transformed your trust to Jesus He's got you, and he has promised to take you home. A couple decades ago, there were huge fires in Yellowstone National Park, and after those fires burned out, some park rangers went in and walking through just to take a firsthand look at, you know, the devastation there. One of the park rangers came up at the base of a tree. There was the charred, burned body of a bird, and its wings were kind of spread out a little bit. And he didn't think much about it, but he kind of went up there, kicked it with his boot, and out from under those wings scurried these babies that had been protected under the sacrificial love of a mom's wings, even in that little creature. That's what Jesus is talking about in that upper room. I will cover you. And there's a once for all time sacrifice that he was going to make. But he left the last part undone because he says, oh, there's another day coming.
And if you belong to him, you will be there. A couple of aspects about Passover that maybe we would be quick to overlook. One is that it's about family. And even the celebrations in the modern day by those who have still observed Passover is that it's a family gathering. And Jesus gathered together with his disciples. And I think what it pictures for us, so much of the language in the New Testament about what we're doing right now and really what happens seven days a week in the church is family language, not in a weird way, but in all the right ways. That we're very different, we're very diverse. You know, we have Republicans and Democrats, rich, poor, black and yellow, red and white. And everything in between, we have cowboy fans and Bronco fans and we're united by something that is bigger than all the different ways in which we might separate from each other. Something bigger than us, something better than all of that. And it is who Jesus is and what he has done for us. If you had asked somebody 2,000 years ago, what does the Passover mean to you? I think you would have heard this. It means I was a slave. I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. I escaped my captivity. Now God is among us and we are following him to a promised land. And I would suggest this to you. If you put your trust in Jesus, that's your story. And that's my story. And that there is slavery and bondage that we find inside of ourselves. And what sets us free is the miraculous work of God. But just like those people who then had to set out from Egypt being set free, they had to pack up their stuff and walk with God. So there's the God's work. There's my day-by-day journey with him. But that's our story. It's also about food. Right, isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't just come and give a lesson and talk about principles, that there were real elements on the table. And do you remember what he said to his disciples when he broke the bread? He said, take. One of the other gospel writers says, take and eat, is what he said. And then he took the cup and he gave it to them and they all drank. See, it's one thing to know that this table is set. It's one thing to know what it represents. But it's another thing to respond. It's another thing to take it in. It's another thing to make it personal. It's another thing for me to do what I've been invited to do. And Jesus invites you to put your trust in him. You know, at the end of the day, with all of this, it's one thing to know. It's another thing to respond. So you hear his words, take and eat. Take the cup. Has it become personal? Has it become real? Has it been your decision? I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads together with me. And just before I pray, could it be that for the very first time, today is the day for you to do that, to respond personally. And just between you and God, you could say something like this. You could say, God, I recognize who I am. And using your word, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark.
but I also recognize that you came to my rescue. You came to redeem, to set me apart, to free me. And so God, I ask you to forgive me, to make me a part of your family. And God, I wanna walk with you day by day. Thank you for who you are and for all that you have done. My hope and my trust is in you. You have provided a once and for all time sacrifice. And my hope is in you. And God, thank you for your amazing grace to us. Thank you for the love that you extend to us. And God, draw each one of us closer to you. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we end today, we're going to celebrate communion, the Lord's table. And I hope on this day, if you have done this before, that today it takes on that depth of meaning that we understand the context from which Jesus was speaking. And he asked us to do this in remembrance of him. So let's remember everything that comes along with it. The amazing rescue, the provision day by day, and the freedom that is found in him. Sometime during this song in which our team leads us, feel free to take that communion. And as we make our way through this song, we're gonna sing together. And let's celebrate even the promise that we have in Jesus that there's another day coming too. And he will raise that final cup. And because of his grace, we can be there.
There's another day coming, but in the meantime, we're covered by the one who sacrificed himself so that we could live and invite us to life together with God. I want to invite you to do maybe one of a couple things here just before we close quickly. If you took that step of faith and trust today, or maybe you've done it in recent times, can I invite you to text the word trust to the number that you see on the screen? Here's the reason why we would like to get to you information that we think is really helpful to getting that relationship with God up and running, growing, thriving, and moving forward. And it would be our privilege to do that. And also following the service here, um, if you have some time, would like to stop by and say hi in our meet and greet room. I truly consider it a privilege. We won't keep you for very long. But on this day, at some point, let's celebrate the God who came to our rescue. Thanks for being here. Have a great day.